Well, I say to you, the Lord be with you. Hey, we find ourselves in week three. We at Hillside are reading through the New Testament together in eight weeks. Three weeks. How y'all doing? Doing good. We got five weeks to go. It's been fantastic for us to be absorbing the New Testament in this intense fashion. And every Sunday, the preacher is bringing their interactions with the readings of the week. This last, reading, this last week, we've been reading 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, and the first eight chapter of Romans. And my buddy, John Woolner, Pastor John, is going to bring the message this morning. <laughs> Most of you know John. John's been serving <laughs> with us for about five months He's been a consultant helping us work through worship and transition stuff. John is a senior pastor. He, uh, thank you, feels good. John planted the Rock Church in Manhattan Beach. Uh, He's been the senior pastor at Edgewater up in Pittsburgh. He's currently the worship pastor over at Open Door in Pleasant Hill. But most of all, he is our friend, and he's going to bring the word for us today. So let's, let's welcome him. Thanks, Jeff. That was a sweet greeting. You know what I love about Jeff Reed? When, uh, you know, it's like this is cool. When, uh, when Grace, when you're playing like some sweet grooves on the guitar, and then Jeff finds his way in between the sweetness. That it probably doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's just as she plays, he finds his way into like the sweet arena of open space and adds his own little sweet touch. And it's just, I don't know, how do you say it? Just good, just good. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Spontaneous hugs. That's what we'll do this morning. Um, I, back in 1991, I was a student at Fuller Theological Seminary uh, studying for my Master's of Divinity, which is just the most ridiculous name, isn't it? A Master's of Divinity. Um, but I graduated in 1995, and during that season of my life from 91 to 95, I made some really valuable, formative relationships. And there was three guys in particular that we journeyed through life together and theology and dialogue. Uh, one guy's name was Rob, and there was another guy named Jim, and another guy named Mick. Mick ended up marrying my sister. Uh, so that's a whole different story. But uh, these three guys uh, really helped to shape and form a lot of my thinking. Uh, we were influential in each other's lives. And periodically, we'll check in with one another. Um, one of the things that came out of our dialogue together um, was these concepts of grace and peace. And we would talk about grace and peace, and, and what, we had, what we had unpacked together was what, it, what would happen if if we greeted one another with grace and peace and then we ended our conversations with one another with grace and peace and how that might um, filter into everything that we do as people. So I saw, I saw my friend Rob just a few weeks ago and just when we see each other, there's a warm embrace, there's a genuineness, a connection where we look at one another and we understand that you are grace to me. It's one thing that he said to me years ago. He looked me in the eye and says, you are grace to me. And I thought, I don't don't fully understand what that means. I'm grace to you. But I feel that with him. And he is grace to me. And there's been just these pivotal moments in our journey together. We were grace to one another. And it just hasn't filtered itself into how I see life. 
that I get, I get to not only receive grace and peace and love, but I also get to give it out. So when I wake up in the morning, I will understand that grace and peace are the very things that hold me together, that I find myself kind of in between these pillars of life that hold me together, grace, peace, and love. So I want to talk about grace this morning, but not just as a conceptual level. I want to talk about grace as the idea of grace being a gift that's rooted in gratitude. And then I want to talk about peace, but not just some kind of generalized peace that we might experience, but peace rooted in this Hebrew word shalom and explore that with you. Then I want to talk about um, guilt and shame, two things that all of us in this room are very familiar with. And then I want to conclude by talking about love. So we'll do a little grace, a little peace, a little guilt and shame, and then we'll talk about some love. Does that work? Okay. I want to read a few passages with us this morning, and I want you to, to listen as we read along. You can follow it on your outline, and then you'll notice on the other side of your outline, there's just uh, words, grace, peace, push and pull, and love, and that is all open for you to explore this morning. If you want to draw, if that's your way of connecting, you want to draw pictures, that's fine. If you want to write down words and images and ideas that might come to you that the Holy Spirit might have something to say to each one of us this morning, go ahead and write that out to see what might happen. So I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2 to begin with, and I want you to listen, listen very carefully to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians, Paul begins his letter here. He says, to the church of God in Corinth together with all his holy people throughout Achaia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Galatians, Paul is writing to this community, these Jesus followers, and he says, Paul, an apostle sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then over to Romans, Paul is unpacking here and he gets down to verse 7 and he says, To all of you in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Man, have you ever noticed how uh, maybe you've done this where you're, you're beginning to construct an email, a letter, handwritten letter. Does anybody do handwritten letters anymore? It's okay, good, good. Handwritten letter. That those first two, three, four lines can be agonizing sometimes, right? Are you with me on that? Like sometimes you're, you're reading the email and you're like going, you read back the first three or four lines that you have written and you erase it and you start over, can't start there. And then you write it again and you read it over again and you erase it and you go, can't start there, can't start there. Not a good place to start. This isn't gonna make any sense. As if the first few lines of a letter or a book or an idea or a movie or something you're scripting out in your mind has a lot to say with how the rest of the letter is gonna go. So how we begin has a lot to say with how we unpack things in the middle and then ultimately where we end up has a lot to do with how we begin. 
So Paul begins many of his letters. He begins with these ideas of being loved by God. He calls, he refers to people as his holy people. He gets all of this like beauty that he's just pouring out on people. But he he brings us back to this rooted thing: grace and peace be with you um, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he begins with this. And this is more than just some first century greeting. Paul, I think, is setting the whole tone for his ministry, that Paul embodies grace somehow, understands that he's held together by something bigger than him. I was up on the top of Mount Diablo on Thursday uh, with Tim Cedarwall, who's our technical director here at Hillside Church. And Tim Cedarwall took me up on a hike and he brought a backpack with him and a camera and a big tripod and and his backpack was full of lenses. And so we get down to this point, this lookout point where we're overlooking Danville, Walnut Creek, all the craziness that we find ourselves in. But I had a different vantage point. I was was high up on the world. And I could see cloud cover overlooking the whole East Bay area. And I could just hear and feel silence. And it was so good. Tim set up his camera, hooked on a lens, put his camera on a, on a time lapse and just let creation move. And I just sat and I thought, oh. I just breathed in and out. You ever just breathe sometimes? You're aware of your breath. You're aware of the moment. And I thought, oh, grace. And I would breathe in peace. And I would breathe out love. And I just let it saturate over my very being. And I thought, man, what if, what if grace and peace and love were the things that were holding all of this together? My life, your life. Do you ever, do you ever wake up in the morning and, and you just kind of freak out and go, oh my gosh, I'm still here. <laughs> right? You wake up and you're like, oh, 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 I'm still here. It's a gift, right? These lenses that... Tim was looking through to capture creation. And I thought about lenses as we were walking along and we got to this lookout point that was overlooking Pittsburgh, Antioch, Clayton, and over the Delta. And you could see the bridge over in in, uh, Antioch. And there was these cameras, these uh, lenses that you could look through with sticks. These view masters, these like giant view masters is what I would call them, the clicking thing. And as you uh, looked out over creation and the beauty of the valley, you could see just there's just so much you can see and take in. But it was interesting when I looked through the lens of these cameras. I see you guys in the back. There you are. (laughs) I could see heat waves coming off creation itself. Isn't that weird? It was like I couldn't see it with the naked eye. I couldn't see the heat waves coming off of creation with just my eyes. I had to look through a lens. And it was like the lens dialed in on something else going on that I could see and partake in. It was like, oh, creation is alive. There's something breathing and moving here. And it got me thinking about lenses and the stuff underneath the stuff. It got me thinking about grace and peace and love that there's always something more going on underneath the surface. It's not just a word, but there's something else there. And as I thought about grace, um, I thought about the words that can describe grace. Grace comes from the Greek word charis, which means rejoice. So to think of grace as rejoice, but then also as you unpack it and you dig underneath the surface of grace, kind of getting down now to the heat waves of what's coming off of this word, we get words like this, 
when you begin to unpack it, joy. Um, how about this one? Pleasure. What? And then we get to this one. This is my favorite one. Gratification. And then we get to this one. Favor. And then this one. Acceptance. Did I spell that right? That within an A? Yeah, thanks. Appreciate that. Thanks for the validation. Joy, pleasure, gratification, favor, acceptance underneath like the stuff that's under the stuff that describes what grace is. It's not just a concept. It's not just a word. It's not just something that we toss around, but it's rooted in something deeper, in joy, pleasure, gratification, favor, acceptance. And this got me thinking, what if that was the lens through which we saw everything? What if? Because my understanding is, is, is how you see God is how you see just about everything. Just about everything. How you understand, experience, taste, see, hear, listen. It's all rooted in something bigger than us. So this joy, this idea of joy and peace be with you. Pleasure and peace be with you. Gratification and peace be with you. Favor, acceptance. And if you think about these words, isn't this the stuff that all of us want? We like want this to infiltrate our lives, to be the things that's shaping and forming us, how we see people when we move out into the world. Could you imagine what it would be like if we were a grace, peace, and love-shaped community in which we saw each other first and foremost through the lens of grace, peace, and love and not, and not this other stuff of you're taking this from me and you're keeping me from this, but oh, grace, peace, and love be with you. What if every email, before we sent any emails, it was all saturated in grace, love, and peace? First, what if there was, a, there was like not only a spell check on your computer, your computer, there was a grace check. And you clicked, like you clicked the grace check. And you're like, oh, oh, oh I might want to change that sentence. I might want to change that thought. Or I might want to start the whole thing over from a different vantage point. And if you think about grace as rejoicing and all these words and these ideas, you think about this is a favor done without expectation of anything in return. Because you think about gifts. You get a gift, and how many of you have received a gift, but you know deep down inside this is not really a gift because there's a string attached to the bottom of it. And you're like, oh, now I have to give this person a gift. Are you, you're tracking with me, right? You, you've gotten those gifts before. You know this is not just a gift. This is a gift, but there's something attached to it. This stuff that God gives to us that pours out on us, no strings. There are no strings attached. It just comes from the pure essence of who God is. God says, I just want to pour this out on you. I want to give it to you because it's who I am. It's what I embody, and I want to pour it out on you. Imagine if we looked through the lens of grace, peace, and love at our children this way. And we spoke these words, these empowering words over the lives of our kids. Even as we're walking through the halls 
of this community and we're thinking we need help with children's ministry and we think about all the ways that we can begin to infuse and speak grace, peace, and love over the lives of our kids, what a great responsibility that is and that we would get to do that. We get to take care of our kids, which is awesome, right, Connie? It's a blessing. We would get to do these things. What if we saw everything through the, through the lens of joy, pleasure, gratification, favor, acceptance? What if you saw your spouse that way? What if you saw your annoying roommate through that lens? That coworker that just drives you bonkers. That person on 680. All those people, you know the people I'm talking about. The ones that irritate. The ones that get in the way. What if it was all rooted in this generous gift. My, my good friend puts it this way. He says, grace is this. Are you ready for this? This is, this is cool. A favor done without expectation of anything in return. The absolute free expression of the loving kindness of God given to us, finding its only motive in the bounty and benevolence of the giver, unearned and unmerited favor. Given to you. No strings. Beautiful. I am, I am what uh, one might call a watch enthusiast. Not, not, I just watch people, but this. Like, I love watches. I have a bunch of these little critters at home. And I collect them, and then I, I sometimes sell them, and I get another one because it's like, oh, that one's cool. I gotta have that one. And so there's all these, I, I just am a watch, a watch enthusiast. And I love them. And my wife and I used to live in Redondo Beach, down in Southern California, we lived a block off of the ocean. You're like, oh, that's where grace and peace exist, is a block off the ocean. So we got to see beauty every day. But then on the other side of where we lived, there was this little downtown area. It had shops and restaurants and life and people. And there was just activity and action going on all around us. And there was a jeweler there, and the jeweler had watches in his store. And I was like, right around the corner, there's a guy with watches. And so I would go into this store and I would marvel at his collection. He had all these like 60s vintage watches. They were just sweet looking. But there was this one watch. It's 1960s watch automatic wine. It had this cool domed crystal on it. It was like an art deco style. And the price tag on the back said $3,000. I'm like, piece of cake, just drop some coin down on that thing. But I would put it on and, and I would just admire it and I'd think, man, now that looks good on me. That looks really good. I really like this, this and me. And so I got to know the owner of the jeweler. His name was David Hall. And turns out David's dad was a minister. David's son was in the ministry. So naturally David understood pastors and he had a heart for ministers. He had a real heart. Like I wanna take care of you guys. I wanna bless you. I wanna, I wanna minister to you. you guys. Get so much guff. I wanna be a joy in your life. And I'm like, sweet, this is going to work out really well for both of us then. You love watches and you want to be nice. Perfect. So we struck up a friendship and a relationship and we would talk watches and Jesus. I mean, like, yeah, Jesus and watches, watches and Jesus. It was a really nice rhythm and flow. And we had a great rapport with one another. I would go in on a regular basis and look at watches. And every time I went in, which one did I look at? The one. Yep, the one. David knew that I loved it. One day he came to me as I was trying it on again, looking at it on my wrist, and he said, how about this, John? How about I sell you that watch for $1,000? And you can do a payment plan. Now, 
I am married. I have two children. Um, you know, I was a minister. I wasn't rolling in the cash. $1,000 is a lot of money for a watch. And it wasn't just about the fact that it told time. It was more than that to me. I loved it. But I'm like, no, David, I can't. I can't. I appreciate your generosity, but I can't. So I had brought David in an old watch that I had for him to repair. And I thought, well, could you repair this watch for me? And he said, absolutely. It's got to take me about two to three months, but I'll repair it for you. And we'll get it up and running and it'll be great. So that time passes, two to three months. In between there, I'm going back and forth to the store. I'm drawn to the $3,000 watch because it's just amazing. And every time I would go in, I would just kind of look at it fondly, knowing I can't have you, but I want you. And David and I continued with our good rapport. I got to know some of the other people in the jeweler. And then after that, two to three months passed, I get a phone call from one of the workers at the jewelry store. And she says, hey, your watch is ready. And I'm like, sweet, my watch is ready. I'm going to go pick it up. I go in later on that afternoon. There's a box waiting for me, wrapped. And I look at the box and I'm thinking, oh, that's nice. As they give him back. And I'm like, great. And David's over working on watches. He's got those little watch lenses. They're like these long things. And he's just looking down and you can just see him kind of looking at me like, okay, hi, John. And he says, open, open the gift, open it. And I'm like, sweet. So I open the box and there it is, the $3,000 watch. And I'm just like, uh. And what did I say? What do you want? No, I didn't say that. No, thank you. I said, thank you. Thank you. Total, I mean, I was overwhelmed by the generosity of this man. Here's what I discovered. What's true about the watch is true about my life. It's all a gift. The fact that I get to wake up every morning, I got breath, I can see, I get to give grace and peace and love to people, it's all a gift. It's a gift. Now what about peace? Peace comes from this Hebrew word, shalom. And shalom is rooted in something a lot bigger than just peace. It's, it's rooted in this idea of harmony and connection and uh, every, every kind of good. This taps into God's dream for the world. Like God, God desires for, for all of us to be put back into right relationship with him through Jesus. God desires for a reconciliation to happen in relationships. God desires for there to be peace and harmony with creation itself. So it's rooted in this bigger idea, this bigger dream. So imagine if all of our greetings were rooted in joy, pleasure, gratification, favor, acceptance, harmony, every kind of good, all these gifts given to you without an expectation of anything in return, no strings attached, be with you. What if we saw the whole thing that way? Every interaction when that mom has that breakdown on aisle three in Safeway because her kid is just driving her nuts. <sighs> Has that ever happened to you? Right? You're just, you're losing it. And instead of looking at them with, can't you get your kid under control? We look at a lens of grace and peace and love and understanding and gratification and joy and peace. And we pray this over people when we walk throughout our day. Here's the trick, my friends. So often, what happens is that we, we get caught up in this, this inner dialogue 
that goes on in our brains. How many of you guys hear voices in your head? Please. We all hear voices in our head. We have this inner dialogue that goes on and there's like these tapes that play over and over again and these tapes and this inner dialogue is generally pretty negative. Wouldn't you agree? And it just reminds us of everything that we're not. Reminds us of what we're missing. Reminds us of where we're coming up short. It reminds us of everything that's like, well, God can't fully accept you because you're too this or you're too that. Can I remind you of something? We're all too this or too that. All of us. We all have the dialogue that goes on in our minds and all this stuff that spins in and out and all over our lives. Can I remind you of something that you read this week if you're on this immersed journey out of Romans chapter 8, verse 1? And would you say it with me? There is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. So when those condemning voices rise up or we start hearing it here in the community, we say, I'm sorry, condemnation has left the building. We're done. Condemnation no longer rules on this place and in our community and in our lives. We don't do condemnation because Jesus don't play that way. That's not who Jesus is. That's not how Jesus calls us to be. That's not what Jesus invites us to step into. We don't do that here. We get to step into who we are becoming in Jesus Christ. We get to enjoy the pure gift of joy, pleasure, gratification, favor, and acceptance. We get to enjoy harmony and every kind of good. It's not that we should, it's that we could become these kinds of people. And it's not that we have to. I'm tired of have tos. We get to. We're done with the shoulds and we're moving into the coulds. We're done with the have tos and we're moving into the get tos. Right? We get to. There it is. <sighs> when you said woohoo, I got caught up in the moment. <laughs> I'm like, what does that mean? But I like it. Woo! And it's good, right? It's really good. Then we get to this passage, um, 2 Corinthians 5.17. This blows me away. And this was in our reading too. And what does it say? Can, can we say it together? If anyone is in Christ Jesus, behold, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new has come. Not will come someday. Not if you get all your stuff lined up and in a row, then it might happen. It's already here. It's here. And we get to enjoy it now. Do you want in? Do you want to rejoice with that? Do you want to accept that into your life? Man, this, this Second Corinthians passage reminds me of a term that theologians use to describe who we are becoming. And this, this term is uh, rooted in what's called eschatological realism. And eschatology has to do with future events Eschatological realism is rooted in this belief that you are becoming someone because we're all becoming something or someone. We're all being shaped and influenced and we're all, you can't not be shaped and influenced. You are always being shaped and influenced and formed. It's a matter of who is shaping you, what is shaping you, how are you being shaped and formed. And according to 2 Corinthians, we're being shaped by something much bigger than ourselves that's actually helping us to step into the kinds of people that Jesus sees in us. And what this passage says is that actually in reality, what we discover in Christ is that you're actually going to become the UESU that you could possibly become. 
right? You're going to become the U-E-S-T you that you could possibly become in Jesus Christ because in Christ, there's, there exists a real you, right? There's, there's a real you in there somewhere. But the problem is, another tension is that so many of us are pushed through life by guilt and shame. Come here for a minute. I don't like to be pushed. I don't know about you guys. Don't push me. And the push sometimes by guilt and shame, many times what happens is we end up kind of getting shoved through life. (laughs) Right? By guilt. And what guilt says is, okay, I made a mistake. I I have to make myself right again. So it puts it back on us. There must be something that I have to do to make God smile on me. I made a mistake. There's got to be some kind of penance that I can serve um, to make this God happy because apparently God isn't pleased with me so I have to do all these things. It's just like, oh, stop doing the duty thing. It's done. Shame is actually uh, much more difficult because shame comes along and it says, no, um, it's not that I failed. It's it's not that I, I feel guilt. It's not that I feel unworthy. It's not that I made a mistake. What shame says is you are a mistake. You are a failure. You are worthless. That's the voice of shame. And what shame does is shame takes this black cloak and just wraps us in this heavy feeling. And it covers us. And reminds us of all the things that we're not. Remember in, uh, in the story of Adam and Eve, as soon as Adam and Eve decide to go out on their own and get out from under aware of. Yeah, they're naked. You've always been naked. But now all of a sudden you're aware of the fact that you're naked? And what I love about God is God comes in immediately into the wreckage and into the chaos. And what does God, what does God go after? He goes after that shame, that original shame. And he asks the question, uh, Adam, who told you you were naked? Who told you that? You've always been naked. My interpretation of that is who's been messing with you? Who's been, who's been twisting your thinking? Like, What's going on here? God comes after humanity to take that shame away. And what Jesus does, says, behold, I've come. You're now a new creation. And he takes that cloak of shame off of us, that heavy cloak of shame, because all that shame stuff does is it causes us to hide where we can't look people in the eye. And Jesus begins to wrap us in something beautiful and helps us to become the youiest you that you can possibly become. This joy. And instead of pushing people through life, what Jesus does is Jesus invites us Come on, sweetheart, you can do this. Come on, you can become the person that I've created you to be. Come on, you can keep going. You can find joy and hope and peace and love. And it's all rooted in gratification and favor and acceptance, and you don't have to do a thing except receive it. You get to receive it and enjoy it. That's the gift of love. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And I want to leave you with this image. Remember when my kids were learning to walk? When, it, when a child is learning to walk, they all look drunk, don't they? <laughs> like, wow, just like my uncle. <laughs> and as they're like wobbling, what does mom do when they're learning to walk? She gets down and she says, come on, you can do it. Mom is there 
dad is there. Come on, you can do it. You can become this walker. You can do it. You can grow, and if you fall, it's okay. Get back up again, and I'm calling you to become the person that I've created you to become. Come on, you can do it. You're beautiful. Come on, sweetheart. And what Jesus says to each and every one of us is, you are my daughter, and with you I am well pleased. You are my son, and with you I am well pleased. Come on. It's time to surrender to the pull, people. Condemnation has left the building. Now we get to rejoice and enjoy the gift of love. I want to speak this over you. I want you to listen and receive it. I encourage everyone to follow the call that God has for them even if it takes you to places that you don't want to go and may seem scary at first. Life is an adventure. Grab hold with both hands and hold on tight. Be brave. Find your security and your identity in God's love. Don't take things personally. Always trust that people are doing the best they can with what they've been given and dealt with in life. Tell your friends and family you love them an embarrassingly lot. Ask for help. Give hugs like they're going out of style. Don't deny the harder emotions or messy moments when they come your way. Let go of what you can't control. Live life to the fullest and get every drop of grace, peace, and love you can from every moment. You get one wild and unique life, one. Live it as only you can so that you can become the youiest you in Jesus Christ and in his holy name we surrender. Peace be with you, my friends. If you are here today and you need continued prayer, healing, ministry, there'll be some people up front that would love to take some time to pray with you. If you feel God stirring in your heart, please come and receive the gift. Okay? Go in peace.